0: do it's a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read my name is Craig my
1: name is Andrew
0: and each week if you if this is the first time you're joining us each week Andrew or myself will have taken a book off our bookshelves or out of the digital ether a book we've been meaning to read and we will share it with the other party and share it with you and yeah we're not trying to be experts but we've got a lot of stuff we want to read and we figured this is the best way to get through it (laughs) (laughs) it's it's
1: encouraging reading through peer pressure which is how i get pretty much everything done in my life that i get done
0: yeah and you would think that that would have motivated me a lot in high school uh but as we found out in an earlier episode and as we'll find out today high school was not a good motivating factor for me to read that kind of peer pressure
1: no there's peer pressure for you
0: to be too cool for reading that's a good point that's and a good the point. and be a class clown yeah uh so what is this is this week five andrew Excellent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I want to thank everybody who's been tuning in thus far and to welcome people who might be tuning in for the first time. And Uh, for the,
1: what about the people who haven't tuned in yet? What do we have to say for that?
0: We have to say thank you for coming to the past and listening. Is that like, is that (laughs) how that works? If they haven't, if they're listening to this in the future, uh, but not like week to week in the future. Yeah. All right.
1: Come with us if you want to live,
0: is what we're saying. (laughs) It's not you, it's your children. That's what We've come saying. from it's,
1: the past to save the future.
0: It's the kids, Marty. It's the kids. <laughs> so this week, Andrew, I, yes. read, I read Beowulf. I was going to see if you were going to ask me what I read, but then I figured I would just tell you.
1: No, I was going to follow your lead.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, it's Beowulf by someone from 8th <laughs> to 11th century old England. I read the Burton Raffle, Burton Raffel translation, which when I was telling people I was reading Beowulf for the show, everyone was like, Oh, you're reading the Seamus Haney version? I was like, Nope, reading this other one. What's the Uh, deal with Seamus Haney's version? Why is it so much better? He's a Nobel laureate, I think, or something. And I've read his version of Antigone, which I really enjoyed. Uh, I think he published a version of Beowulf in 99, and it might be the version that a lot more people are using in schools these days. But I got this one from my 12th grade English class, so that's why I'm reading it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so you had—and when I told people that we were reading Beowulf for the show— they asked me how have you not read Beowulf? I didn't know you could get through high school without reading Beowulf. So
0: Yeah, I don't so. know what assignments I was given on Beowulf that I didn't do or faked my way through assuming that I was given All I remember from my English class when we were studying quote unquote Beowulf is that my English teacher showed us a montage of like monsters getting dismembered in movies. Okay. As a way to reference Beowulf. Like, he was like, this is an important theme in Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's exactly what his point was. Uh, that's,
1: no, the verbatim, I'm sure that's what he said. He
0: did a lot of, he would, we would, like, kind of read a book and maybe talk about it in class. And then we would watch a movie that was, like, a loose adaptation of it. Like, he showed us, like, one or two Japanese movies that were, quote, like, based on... Shakespeare, it's and then we watched we didn't watch did we watch Beowulf we watched something else seven now, did Warriors. you watch these
1: you watch these movies in their entirety or did you just watch relative, rele, relevant bits of them
0: uh in in their entirety <laughs> whenever <laughs> possible a,
1: Wow that sounds like a really good way to teach English like a quarter of the time
0: <laughs> yeah and I, <laughs> And I I was technically in the honors class, too, so I don't know what we were doing. <laughs> we were not Jeez. honoring uh, English at all.
1: Have you seen Stand and Deliver? It's a movie about Edward James Olmos teaching inner-city kids how to do math by showing them movies all the time.
0: I did watch Stand and Deliver in a math <laughs> class once, but it wasn't a substitute for learning about math. It was like a day where we had nothing to do, where there was like a substitute or something. It was not... <laughs> It was not like a, here, watch this movie, and then you'll understand calculus by way of inner city Los Angeles. Like, <laughs> that's not how it works. Uh, so I figure we should talk about Beowulf, right? Probably, right. ostensibly. Yeah, because you read about it. Have you read Beowulf, Andrew?
1: I, yeah, I I don't remember if it was junior year or senior year of high school, but we two were assigned Beowulf, and I actually did read it, as opposed to you. But do, you do you remember was-
0: enjoying it?
1: I remember thinking it was fine. I mean, I've always been into Lord of the Rings and like kind of fantasy-ish stuff. Yeah. But um this is this is not like that.
0: (laughs) No, it's not quite, though it's closer than I was prepared for, I guess. I don't know. So it starts off with like a preface of like a you know, invoking the muse moment of like, hey, listen, I'm gonna tell you a story about. Heroes. That's like, you know, hear me, we've heard of Danish heroes. That's the first line. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Because Let's, it's an
1: epic poem, and that is an epic poem, I don't know, convention. That's as old as the form, pretty much. Yeah,
0: because these all started as uh, in the oral tradition. Like, the fact that this was written down was not the way that it was originally done. Um, and there's actually a reference. I think it's a little ways in. I don't think Beowulf has done anything courageous yet, or maybe it's after his first major victory, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, where they reference like a poet on a horseback who's like making up a song about Beowulf right there. And I was reading a little bit of the afterword in this edition, and they were kind of talking, drawing some parallels between that character and whoever originated this tale in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, Just that that was part of the way of life back then. So... Uh, that's how all stories were created. Uh, so let's talk about the plot first, and then we'll go back over what the heck an epic poem is, I guess. Okay. Um, so first, there's a whole introduction of, yo, this is Denmark. There's this big famous king. And <laughs> it's like slam poetry. Um, <laughs> it's Denmark. There's a big famous king. His name is, what did I wrote it down? It's like Shield Schildschiefling or something. Um, okay. That's my Swedish chef voice, I guess. And this isn't even Swedish. You no, know, it takes place in Scandinavia. Okay. Did you not realize that?
1: I thought Dane, like I thought Danes were from Denmark.
0: Yeah, well, you're right. Anyway. Okay. Oh yeah, that's not even Scandinavia.
1: Crap. Yeah, man, we are bad as a group. We are so bad at geography.
0: How many? Yeah, let's start a podcast where we learn about geography. Let's do that. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, okay. So Beowulf shows up after, oh, no, Beowulf hasn't, oh, God, I'm so bad at this. So we're living in Denmark, right? Which is not, for the record, in Scandinavia. No, we're living in Denmark. And apparently it's really important in Denmark that you serve your lord by gaining glory in battle so that he can amass a whole bunch of treasure before he dies. Like, that's what the whole prologue is about. Like, how much p- these people like treasure and how much these people like fame. It's, like, really important. So then, a couple generations later, after Shield Schiefling, uh, Hrothgar, Hr- Hrothgar shows up, and he's the king of the Danes. And he builds a giant mead hall called Herit. which I guess a mead hall is like a bar, except it's for Vikings. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a big banquet hall, right? Like they, they've had those in, in the movies and stuff. It's just a bunch of guys with beards drinking beer, singing songs, maybe getting in fistfights.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't think that they even I don't even know if they have castles at this point. Like, I think they just they build a big mead hall and that's where they gather around to talk about how great they are and, like, give each other treasure gifts and stuff. That word gets said a lot in this Treasure case. gifts? Treasure gifts.
1: Treasure gifts.
0: Yeah. Not gifts or gifs like the internet. Not, like, no, I, I animated know, not. images of treasure.
1: I was just thinking what an internet version of Beowulf would be. Like, your your duty is to get your lord lots of fame... And fortune by amassing as many Twitter followers as you can. Like
0: Twitter followers and likes. Like, right. oh, yeah, you sold something huge on Etsy, and now your lord gets a lot of likes. That's and then
1: you give each other treasure gifts. And you give you
0: <laughs> treasure gifts. Um, so uh, Hrothgar is throwing a big party in Herod, right? And he's like, I'm the best. The Danes are great. Let's get drunk and make a bunch of noise. And all the noise wakes up cranky old Grendel, who, like, lives at the bottom of a lake and is a descendant from Cain, of Cain and Abel, you know, the old comedy duo from the Bible.
1: Maybe you've heard of them.
0: (laughs) Maybe you've heard of them. Um, And Grendel's like, who's making all that noise? And he gets really mad. (laughs) And then, so after all the Vikings, and honestly, like, it's probably Tolkien's fault, but, like, whenever I hear about these Vikings, I just think they're dwarves. I think they're, like... Tolkien dwarves. Right. That's kind of the vibe uh, that he built up. Um, so Grendel's like, who's making all that noise? And then he goes to Harrod and then he decides to, like, kill a kill a couple of them and rip some dudes in half. <laughs> and then I think he ate one. He might have eaten a guy. And then Grendel runs away, and he's like, that's awesome. Like, great job, me. That's great. Um, so then... Hrothgar's kingdom is pretty much screwed at that point like there's dead bodies in this great mead hall and no one knows what to do and this like Satan spawn monster is coming and terrorizing them at night and stuff and so somewhere in a different land in his far off home it says uh, Beowulf who's of the the Geats I don't know if that's how it's pronounced G-E-A-T-S Maybe geats? I'm not sure. We'll go with geats. (laughs) Geats. Sounds better, I guess. Um, Somewhere, I guess on on the old English internet, he heard that Grendel was terrorizing Hrothgar's dudes. And so he gets on a boat with all of his buddies. And I love this part where it says... um, None of the wise ones regretted his going. Much as he was loved by the Geats, the omens were good, and they urged the adventure on. They were like, "All right, Beowulf, listen. We cut open a bunch of birds, and all the organs look good. Sounds like you should probably go help Hrothgar." Uh, so he sails to Denmark, which is not in Scandinavia, right? And, as we've discussed, and there's a guy like on a fjord, being like, "Who comes? Who who goes here?" And Beowulf's like, I'm Beowulf. I'm super cool and have killed a bunch of guys already. And he's like, all right, great. Go help run the car. And so he goes to Herod, and he's like, I heard you were having trouble with this monster. I'm going to help you guys out. And then they they throw a big party, and there's this guy there. I don't remember his name. I think it's it's not Finn. It's something else. Um, but there's this guy there that totally doubts And he's, like, hating on Beowulf, and, like, you can't do that. No way. No one's. You're not as cool as you think you are. Um, And then they all go to sleep, and then Grendel comes. And he comes, what?
1: I was just going to ask why Grendel was still mad. Like, he already killed a couple guys. He already ate somebody. I don't know. I think it's,
0: they don't ever really explain why Grendel, like, carries this grudge. Like, they didn't do anything to him. They just made a bunch of noise. They were just being loud. They were just being loud, and I guess maybe they were celebrating God, and Grendel being, like, Devil Spawn Devil Spawn um, did not care for that. I'm not sure. Uh, so Grendel shows up in the middle of the night, and Beowulf was, like, laying there pretending to go to sleep. And then Grendel comes in and gets in a huge fight with Beowulf, and Beowulf doesn't use any weapons. There's a huge, like... Beowulf spends a lot of time telling everyone how he is not going to use a sword to kill Grendel because that is beneath him. Like, he will kill this thing with his bare hands, which he does, and he, well, he rips off Grendel's arm, if you did not know that already. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, they get in a big fist fight, and he grabs Grendel's claw and then rips it off at the shoulder, and then Grendel runs away, (laughs) and they don't follow him. They're just like, cool, I ripped your arm off. (laughs) <laughs> uh so then the next day uh he did Grendel did kill one of the geats who came with Beowulf, and so in the ceremony where Hrothgar gives a bunch of treasure to all the geats he uh he gives special attention to like give them extra money for that guy who died, and, like take it home to his wife and kids or whatever because uh, treasure is really important. I don't know if you realize So then Grendel's mom comes the next night, having her having Grendel came home, I guess, and died in their home. I'm not sure. (laughs) They never really explained that. And so Grendel lives with his mom. Yeah. Grendel lives in the basement of the universe with his with his mom (laughs) under a big lake. Uh, And then so Grendel's mom comes in and they never really it's kind of hard to pin down what exactly Grendel and Grendel's mom look like. The poem just kind of talks about them being awful, but it's it's. I always picture like some sort of troll or something, but they never it's really difficult to kind of pin down the imagery, which is odd, because it's more about like oh, it, it has claws, and it's big and strong, but it's not really like oh, and it's beady red eyes, and it's covered in fur, and they never really talk about that so then, uh, Grendel's mom shows up and kills one of the geats and then Beowulf tries to fight her and she runs away and he's like okay so then they he they chase her to her lake and then he he dives in there and then he has to he breaks his sword fighting her it's funny how like i'm kind of moving through this perfunctorily because that kind of is how it feels like there's a lot of great language that i imagine if you were singing it or if you were reading it out loud would be kind of interesting but it really is just like oh and then grendel showed up and beowulf killed him and then beowulf went to grendel's house and cut off grendel's mom's head with a giant sword
1: right i mean that's and that's kind of how i remember it too is there's not a lot of there's not a lot of pacing or anything like it doesn't there's not suspense everything just kind of flows out steadily whether whether it's people sitting in their mead hall you know, getting tanked, or whether Beowulf is is fighting a monster in a lake, like
0: yeah. The only the only kind of like little bits of suspense that come up in the action sequences, for lack of a better word, is that like when Bendel when Bendel when Beowulf is fighting Grendel's mom, <laughs> there's all this stuff about how she she started like breaking his armor and bit holes in his helmet and. Uh, his sword broke as he tried to cut her skin and it wouldn't go through. And the only thing that's saving his life at this point is, like, hammered mail, like, links chainmail. also saves his life a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he finds this giant sword on the wall that no one but Beowulf could pick up, of course, uh, and then he cuts her head off, and then he swims out of the evil lake, um, And the sword has, like, melted for some reason. I'm not quite, they never really explain that either. So he gives the hilt of this big fancy sword to Hrothgar. um, And then he goes home. Like, that's, (laughs) then he goes home. He's like, oh, it was great. That's awesome. Um, And then we flash forward 50 years, and Beowulf is the king of the Geats. And we talk, we don't really see it, but we talk about how he was king during this great battle that happened and how much the Geats love him and they fought the Frisians who I don't know who the Frisians are and they kicked some Frisian butt <laughs> and then so, so at this point Beowulf's super old he's the king, he's the old king and then a slave steals a goblet from a dragon like didn't know there were dragons in this world didn't know, they never really. I don't know that they even talk about slaves before then either. Um, is the
1: dragon living with his mom too? Is that no? Is there's that they, they, don't talk, <laughs> they don't
0: talk talk about the dragon's mom, um, but so yeah. So then the slave steals something from the dragon, which is like very fantasy trope by this point, you know. Um, and the dragon gets really pissed and burns all of Beowulf's villages and burns down Beowulf's castle. Um, and then Beowulf goes to go kill the dragon and he's having a real hard time and he really, he's not going to win. He's like, cause
1: he's old.
0: Yeah. He's super old. And he even says before he goes in to go kill the dragon, he makes a point. He's like, man, if, if I could, I wouldn't use my sword and shield, but this is totally a dragon. I'm going to need him. And I'm old. <laughs> what? Like he he makes it, he every time he goes in to fight someone he makes a point about like I would totally do this with my hands naked if I thought I would win like completely devoid of any protection or weaponry he would love to to win if he could <laughs> um, so he goes in to fight the dragon and he's totally losing and then all of his uh, men like run away except for this kid Wiglaf who or Viglif, I'm not mm-hmm. sure uh, and he runs in. And he helps he saves Beowulf, but Beowulf uh, randomly pulls a knife out of his pocket and cuts open the dragon's belly. Um, and then they bury Beowulf after Weglyf gives a nice big speech calling everybody a coward, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> and then they bury him with all the treasure that the dragon had, but they make a big point that they're not allowed they have to like burn or lock up all the treasure because it's cursed, which is why the dragon got it in the first place. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's Beowulf. Like, it's really quick. It's like a couple kings die and a couple monsters die. And I don't know if you knew this, but Beowulf's the best. Like, he's like the Rambo of the 8th century. He killed everything. If you needed, <laughs> if you needed monsters mashed, you called Beowulf.
1: That's an interesting comparison to make because I think Sylvester Stallone making movies now is kind of like old Beowulf.
0: Oh yeah, like the 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 Expendables is basically <laughs> just the last third of Beowulf.
1: Wait, what, he's in another movie though. Is he like one that's coming that up one? where he's some like old Rambo type action hero, but it's not Rambo.
0: What's that one that just came out with Arnold Schwarzenegger where he's like the sheriff or whatever? Where he's an maybe old that's
1: guy. the one. Maybe that's the Expendables too. I don't know.
0: Yeah. That, um. <laughs> this is unrelated to Beowulf. Anyway, all.
1: if if you were going to turn a modern movie franchise into Beowulf, it would be Rambo.
0: Yeah, I, I guess that's that's fair. Cause that's really all this is. It's it's a mix of and I think the reason I don't remember them as well is like in between these three big fight scenes, there's just a lot of people sitting around telling stories about other people. And it's not in a way that is really compelling i guess it's useful if you consider this like part of oral history and i and that's another interesting part of this poem is that you can't like a lot of greek poetry and greek mythology it's this weird mix of yeah that happened but also this other magical stuff happened Mm -hmm. um Because I'm fairly certain that there are references to actual wars in here, you know, somewhere up around England and Denmark. And and they talk about the Franks a lot. They really don't like the Franks, um, (laughs) which is kind of funny. But, yeah, and so they recount these actual, what I believe are actual battles in some fashion. But then it's kind of peppered with this more fantastical heroism. Which people do? It's funny that Beowulf kind of comes from this other land and then just shows up to Hrothgar and is like, "Yo, I'll help you out. You are my lord now." And then Hrothgar's like, "You're like a son to me. Thanks so much for this arm that you ripped off a troll." Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's the this, the poetry. Well, I didn't know this about Old English poetry because uh, you know I encounter it all the time. <laughs> Uh, it's not like your stereotypical Shakespearean verse or anything like that which is probably the most poetry that I read on any sort of regular basis where that Elizabethan er- verse has like the ba dump ba dump ba dum ba like that very rigid structure mm-hmm. whereas Beowulf and in, in this kind of poetry the it doesn't rhyme um, now granted it's also been translated into modern English so it's not all, it wouldn't have always rhymed anyway but a lot of what the organizing a lot of what organizes a lot of the poetry is alliteration, so you'll get a lot of s's in a row you'll get a lot of f's in a row um,
1: now does is that a flourish on the part of the translator or is that something that was in the original
0: no it's actually I think it's lessened in the translation than it mm-hmm. is in the original uh, okay when I've because kind of well, that
1: would make that would make a lot of sense in spoken you know in a, in a spoken tradition which is a, where a lot of this um epic poetry kind of originates it, w- it would make sense to have a lot of similar sounds together mm-hmm. in you know in one spot to kind of not just you know for the for the um for the oral quality but also because phrases like that would make it easier to remember i think
0: yeah and there's a lot of there's also a lot of um God, not, are they epithets? Is that the word I'm looking for? Where it's kind of like in, in Homer's Odyssey, like Athena, the gray-eyed goddess. Is that an epithet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of those, too, mm-hmm. where it's like Beowulf, such and such's son, follower of Higlak, like or uh, Frothgar, the gray-haired king. Like They say that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. What's nice about this Raphael translation is he at least finds a couple different ways to say it. Uh, so you'll get... Follower of Higlack Higlack's follower, you know proud disciple of Higlack kind of stuff like that um, yeah, I
1: mean that maybe that's interesting for the modern reader, but it yeah. probably distorts like the original intent of of having epithets in the first place
0: yes, it does, and it, it's possible that that also that stuff might have been added by the first person who wrote this down at all, mm-hmm. and then someone and when it was sung, it was a lot simpler, you know. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: But also a point about it being oral is the the structure of each line is not that kind of later English Shakespearean notion of p- poetic feet, but it's four stresses per line, but it can have as many words as it wants. So mm-hmm. like it might be um, of, this one is, and death would be better for them all and for you than the kind of life you can lead branded with disgrace. And you have this last line of, life lead branded disgrace Mm -hmm. and you can squeeze as many words in between those as you want it's kind of reminds me of both chant and rap in a way like they're like (laughs) they're the specific beats that you want to hit but in between them you can kind of make as many words or stretch out a bunch of words which you don't really know... We, like That's one thing that always tri- trips me up when I'm reading like Greek plays, because like those were probably sung in some fashion, um, but it might have been sung in the way that a liturgical chant is sung, which is a lot of repeated notes in a row, and then you move up and down the line, but it's not melodic in the way that we understand it now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the weird thing about Beowulf is that it was written or written or recorded or in, invented in, in between eighth and the the eighth and the 11th century, which is it's dancing around the Norman conquest, which was, I think 1055 AD B mm-hmm. or common era, whichever you prefer. <laughs> uh, and that, that is when Christianity made its way into the British isles. So it's, interesting that throughout this poem they talk about god like with god's good grace he helped himself they're doing this you know grendel was bearing god's hatred as he was running around
1: Um, well again you don't you don't know how much of this was an existing tradition that happened before christianity and then it had these things imposed on it later i mean there, there are plenty of Cases where early Christians took kind of pagan stuff and subtly worked God into it, so so the you know the pagan people or the new converts could still have stuff they were comfortable with. Oh but yeah, it's, it's they would the, also have you know God would still be in there and he would become part of the tradition and become passed down.
0: Yeah, because it's you want at the end of the day if you're if you're conquering those lands and you want them to convert to Christianity, there's yeah. Oh, you you celebrate the solstice, huh? With trees with lights on it. Well, why don't we just make Jesus' birthday then? You right. know? And they, they can't prove exactly when those days are and you know, there's all sorts of history channel things that'll try to tell you when Jesus was born. Um, but it is it's kind of utilitarian in that way. And it's interesting that there's the main themes in this are, you know, glory to your Lord. And not not God, but to uh, the man you serve, right? Um, and bringing him treasure and then whether or not a good a king or a leader treats his people well and the way he does it is by rewarding them for their valor, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then tacked onto it is this sense that God will approve or disapprove of this behavior um, and that your victory. You owe a lot of your victory to God in some fashion. Um, it's very interesting. And it, I, I was not not related to the God thing, but I was struck by all the times they mentioned fame and glory um, in a way that seems kind of comic booky now. You know, mm-hmm. you don't think of like it's not very often that people are risking their lives or doing things of this, you know, going and killing trolls on, <laughs> in the modern day. Um, but on a on a metaphorical level, that doesn't even happen as often. So it's like he, go, he dives into the lake to go kill Grendel's mother, and it says something about, um, I don't know if I marked it down. I thought I marked it down. He says, but Beowulf longed only for fame and leaped back into battle. So fame comes to the men who win it and care about nothing else. Like, you'll only win if all you care about is being famous for the fact that you won. (laughs) Um, I guess the closest thing that we have to that right now is, like, sports. Like, people. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Except there would have to be something that Beowulf could do after he got too old to kill monsters, where he was, like, a commentator for younger people who were killing monsters. (laughs)
0: Like, oh, like, Beowulf 2003... Like he's John Madden. He's the John Madden of killing monsters. Yeah. Right. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> I guess I was surprised also by how easy this was to read, I guess, you know, we kind of, I've been kind of saying the whole time how simple it feels. Um, it doesn't feel like when someone tells you to read the Odyssey or the Iliad and you're like, Oh my God, there's a lot <laughs> there. Um, this was pretty lean by comparison. I don't know if you have any thoughts on the difference between something like this and, and Greek poetry, Andrew.
1: I mean, Beowulf is just shorter, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I think that's a big part of it because, I mean, the Iliad and the Odyssey aren't really heavy lifting either. I mean, there, there are a lot of similar elements. You know, you have epithets. You have cycles that kind of get repeated over and over. Um, you have a lot of... I guess, battles that happen in the present tense. You have a lot of tales. You have a lot of scenes where people are just sitting around banqueting. Like, there there are lots of similarities. But but all the Greek poems are just so much longer. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think that's a, that's a big part of why they feel so much heavier is it just takes so long for stuff to happen. Mm. And you also have to deal with the parallels where the gods are doing stuff too. Like like as I remember Beowulf doesn't have any really extended scenes where the gods are talking and like intervening in in human affairs.
0: No, not at all. Because
1: it's, in in like the Iliad the people are fighting, yeah, but but the gods are like fighting through the people. Yeah. yeah and yeah, that's yeah. like the, the they're like the only vehicle through which either side gets ahead at all. Yeah, so there are like a couple layers. It's just it's a little more complicated, I guess.
0: Yeah, because that Greek sense and, and a lot of what I've gotten from Greek tragedy is is this sense of humility before the gods, which is definitely present in Beowulf. Like a lot of you did this by the glory of God kind of thing, but it's not. There's no sense that, or at least they don't talk about that kind of Old Testament God's going to come in and, you know, wreck your life if you messed up. The closest thing is that all the treasure that the dragon has is cursed and like mm-hmm. men shouldn't have it. So that's why this dragon is there. Um, but it is interesting that maybe I just don't know my old Testament is because there is, a, there is a dragon in the old Testament, right? Is I, that right? I
1: don't know. That doesn't sound right. Oh no. I'm thinking
0: about the whale. I'm thinking about.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah. You know, Jonah, he got eaten by a dragon, he got eaten
0: by a dragon. And um, then Jesus
1: killed him. That,
0: <laughs> Jesus, Jesus pulled a sword out of his, his mouth and killed the dragon, um, but yeah, there's these like mon- there's like just straight up monsters that are not of any sort of Christian literature, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so it's weird to have that kind of butting up against this. Well, let us tell you this story that will also increase your respect for the Lord in the Christian sense and mm-hmm. align your virtues. With virtues from this Bible that we're going to read to you, because you know it's the tenth it's the tenth century and it's still in Latin or whatever it is. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know the history of the Bible very well. That's
1: no. That's actually an interesting point. Is um would these would people hearing Beowulf or or reading Beowulf probably hearing it yeah. given literacy rates? Would they even be familiar with the Bible because? You know, nobody could read it yet. Like it hadn't been it hadn't been translated into a language that anybody that most people knew.
0: Yeah, and and the development of I don't know the development of churches in that era of any kind, right? Mm -hmm. Like especially the the type of culture that's depicted in this society, in the society of Beowulf, is like bands of men. You have all these kings and it kinda reminded me of of Game of Thrones kind of kings where it's like you have no, they could be king of their backyard and they have like 12 friends around them that just go, okay, you're the king. Great. (laughs) But then you don't, but then they also have big ships that they, that they ride around and like fight between countries. So it's this odd kind of, it's hard to tell what the scale of a king is in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, When all you really see is the mead hall, and the one castle where he keeps his treasure. Uh, And so there isn't really a sense of what religion is either, Um, which is to what you were saying.
1: The more you talk, the more it feels like references to God and religion almost have to have been introduced when this was written down, or even later, like as it was being copied from manuscript to manuscript. Because there was a lot of Latin and Greek literature that was destroyed you know because of because of pagan roots and because you know it didn't it didn't have anything to do with with Christianity and with with god and stuff so it would stand to reason i guess that some of the stuff that did survive would get changed to you know to uh, reflect the current zeitgeist i guess
0: oh yeah in, in the way that if you adapt any of these stories now whoever's adapting them always has like an axe to grind seems pejorative, but it's kind of what it is.
1: They have, I mean, they have their own perspective that they bring to it, and I'm sure that's true of even the different people who are translating it now.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, the Seamus Haney translation uh, has a lot of Irish diction in it, mm-hmm. and there's apparently a whole part of studying Beowulf that has to do with its Irish roots as well. Um, and from from that neck of the woods. Um, so,
1: so the translation just does a better job of conveying subtleties of language that are present in the original translation, or I, what?
0: I don't know. I don't know that, that translation. Um, this one is pretty... The one I read, the Burton Raffle, is pretty just straightforward English. It doesn't feel like it's coming from any particular part of the world. Um, potentially modern British, but um, not, nothing, uh, nothing that's hard to read for an American... Um, but from what I understand the Seamus Haney has a little bit more of that And when I read his burial at Thebes which is his Antigone he also Haney's interested in reflecting characters by the type of poetry he uses which I don't know if he I I imagine he wouldn't do that to Beowulf Um, but his Antigone has like different Creon speaks in a different meter than the messenger who runs up to talk to him kind of thing Sure. Um, which, again, is is different from—you might not do that if, if it were an, an oral tradition, like a poet's song kind of thing, um, because that—
1: Or you might, just because—I'm I'm trying to think, you know, imagine listening to one of these, and it's probably not the only thing you're listening to. You know, it's probably mm. being spoken aloud in something that's not too far removed from a mead hall. Yeah. So, if you think about devices like epithets, if you think about things like having different characters speak in different meters or use a, an identifiably different, you know, vocal style, that could, I, I see that as being ways to give people who aren't paying full attention, like if they want to jump in and out of the story, it makes it easier for them to follow or something. Yeah, like maybe maybe you don't hear Athena's name, but you hear. You know, you hear a gray-eyed goddess, and you and the, and you know what's going on. Yeah,
0: it's it's also interesting. And I'm being I don't want to be too reductive here, but it's there's a wonderful simplicity to these older stories in in terms of how characters are introduced and how characters are developed that modern fiction is not interested. Like modern fiction is much more f- from the late 19th century, 20th century on is like you go inside people's heads a bit more. And, we've and ta- you
1: find out everything about them, whereas with these older stories, characters often have a defining characteristic, and that's pretty much all there is to know about them.
0: Yeah, and that's the point of the story, in a way. Like, mm-hmm. Beowulf is strong and honest and amazing at everything he does. Like, that's the point of, like, that's the point of this story. Aspire to be like this, and Beowulf God will love so you. He's is so cool. He is so dreamy. Um, but... Yeah, and it's you only really are concerned with wh- who is who was his dad, okay, so he comes from a, a an honorable lineage, and what has he done? Like, it's very literal. It's very like, oh, did he do this? What were his actions? We're not wondering about what people felt or what people thought. Right. Uh, which is, I guess, yeah, that also is useful for this kind of oral tradition as well, because mm. you're not going to, like... And then he was thinking about this, and because you can lose track of that a lot easier.
1: Well, yeah, because you're not going to get up there and recite Game of Thrones in front of a bunch of people because <laughs> Let's no do one's going to be able to follow what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> Let's
0: do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's I liked Beowulf. I like reading it a lot. Um, it does. You look back on it and go, oh, okay, he killed three things. That's the end of that book. Yeah. Um,
1: as I recall, it didn't leave, you know, it was, it was interesting to read, but it didn't leave a huge impression.
0: No, I, I think that it's a good primer for kind of what we've talked about today, like discussions of where authorship comes from, the evolution of poetry. It's a simpler thing to dive into, I think, than if you were like, oh, I'm going to read some old English. Let me go pick up those Canterbury Tales. Like, oh, man. <laughs> Um, and as a, as I recall that's that that might be the order maybe i maybe I was supposed to read Canterbury Tales earlier in english earlier in high school <laughs> i don't remember
1: it's another high school era yeah English assignment um,
0: and it's those kind of things where it's like you go back and you look at what English was doing before. Um, it is neat that we have poetry like this from the language that we sort of speak you know mm-hmm. um, even well and
1: and it ties it together with like the larger. Literary tradition too. Like it's interesting to see the epic poetry of the 11th century or whatever, and see how how similar it still is to to stuff that happened, you know, like 3,000 years ago, more yeah. than that. Mm-hmm. Even.
0: Yeah, that kind of like the th- the same thing that happens in technology, where innovations start happening closer and closer together in time. Mm-hmm. But if you go back far enough. There's a lot of just people singing stories about heroes for I, maybe fifteen hundred years
1: <laughs> well a lot of it has to do with the fact that the written word was not it was not mainstream, you know
0: no, it was underground, yeah,
1: so i mean this this is kind of the mainstream <laughs> stuff is because it was much much easier to to tell it than it was to to read it, yeah
0: well, and it's and it's it's just sort of just an action movie that imparts lessons about being heroic. Like it doesn't have, <laughs> you know, it's not teaching you about honoring your family or like a good way to live your life unless this is what your life is. Like that's an interesting idea too. Like is this, who was the intended audience for this poem is also mm-hmm. an interesting thing to think about.
1: Yeah. Cause when, I mean, when you consider, I mean, to To read a book like this and consider why it is the way it is, like considering the intended audience is a huge part of it like that's that's you know like the discussion that we've had, even though we we are not like scholars exactly of, <laughs> of this kind of thing like I did study classics in college but that was a while ago yeah but, um, but uh knowing the environment where you know where the listeners would be and who the listeners were likely to be is is key to to knowing why things are repeated so often, or why things are as simple as they are. You know, it's
0: yeah, because you're not. I don't know that there was any sort of cultural reason to make up a story on your own. Like you're not pulling a a 20, like a twentieth century author who might just write a book and then put it in his nightstand. You know, yeah, and then...
1: yeah, like, right. If 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 anything, you're you take a story that's established and build your own stuff into it,
0: and that that seems to be. What might have happened with Beowulf? Here, not only the Christian thing, but that the the evolution of these tales and the tales that get interspliced between the three main acts mm-hmm. uh, could have been added by poets at a different time. You know,
1: right? Or maybe you know, maybe there even and and I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there, but may, there may even be parts of what became Beowulf that were missing. You know, all the all the space between when he fights Grendel's mother and when he fights the dragon. You know, there there could be stories that that filled that gap before and they and they didn't survive to the present day or the story they just weren't considered as as key to the rest of the story when it was written down like who who knows
0: yeah i'm doing i'm just i have a little bit of background information put up right now like the manuscript that all of our translations right now are based on uh was damaged in 1731 yeah um, so and then the first printed edition came out in 1815 so mm-hmm. Yeah, there could have been all sorts of stuff missing, um, or we could have, you know, who knows? In like 200 years, they're gonna find another version that has a bunch of other stuff, kind of. Unless all that. And paper this is this
1: is away. not entirely. Re- it's a little related to our subject matter, but the way that they discover <laughs> old books, yeah, now is so cool. Like they, in one one of my classics professors in college was was talking about it. Like if they find mummies. Sometimes, like, they will be wrapped up in the old pages of books. What? And so we have, like, crazy scanners now that can go through and, like, scan this stuff what and, and like pick up the words oh so we don't God. have to pick, so we don't have to unpeel the mummies and like destroy a bunch of the of the stuff in in the process like the way that we discover old books is so awesome if this we should do a we should do a show about that sometime. if this show
0: really takes off and it becomes like the defining thing that either of us have done i want to be <laughs> i want someone to take all the pages from You know, one of the books that we cover. The transcripts. Yeah. Oh, the transcripts from (laughs) someone out. Someone's out there transcribing all these podcasts and wrap me up in those pages when you bury me or give me a Viking funeral in all these pages. (laughs) Um, I like that idea a lot.
1: Yeah. So Beowulf. Beowulf.
0: Yeah, I like it. Go read it. It's a good time. It's it's if you're worried about it being an epic poem and it taking a lot out of your day. I read it in weekend. It's great.
1: And just to, to tease a future show, there's been um, there's like a modern day retelling of it, or, or sort of a take on it that you're going to read for for a couple weeks from now. Yeah, and, I don't remember the I, ahead.
0: I don't remember the author's name, but there is a book called Grendel uh, that I remember buying after I was supposed to have read Beowulf, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's sitting on my bookshelf too. And it's the story from Grendel's perspective, uh, and it's interesting how the whole. Tail of Beowulf gets kicked off by this monster and then that monster is very quickly dispatched by our hero yeah. so I don't know I don't remember exactly I'll be interested to talk about why someone would do that but that's that's a thing that people have been doing ever you know for a while now oh yeah the musical wicked is from the perspective of the witch you know that kind of right. thing. <laughs> um, but yeah that'll be neat so I look forward to that probably won't be for a couple episodes or who knows
1: But yeah, there you go.
0: And if you want to find out more about our show, more about future episodes as they come out, you can head to OverduePodcast.com. You can follow us on Facebook to search Overdue, or you can follow us on Twitter at OverduePod. Right. And uh, if you want to give us book recommendations or
1: notes or insult us, you can email us at uh, OverduePod at gmail.com. That's one of our options. Um, if you do go to our website, uh, we provide links not just for the books that we have read but also for the next couple episodes that we'll be doing um we We use Amazon links so we are actually providing something of value to you guys rather than you know stupid Google adsense ads for um for sex medication so. <laughs>
0: what what book is going to maybe, maybe Love and Time of Cholera is Love bringing the that Time up. of Cholera yeah I was going to give you some sex
1: medication <laughs> but yeah so if, if you wanted to support us if you want to follow along with the you know next week's book or, or the book from two weeks from now that that would be awesome we would really appreciate that
0: yeah and if you found us on iTunes or if you plan to subscribe to us on iTunes or some other subscription service I don't know uh, please review us let us know what you think um Maybe it's a good review. Maybe it's not. We'll learn from bad reviews, I guess. Uh, that really helps us know who's listening and what they like and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Tell a friend. Tell two friends. Maybe tell three friends. I understand that might be a little don't, much. You
1: don't go nuts. Don't go like, crazy. Don't,
0: don't strain yourself. Yeah. We don't want people going, oh, my God, that podcast everyone's been talking about. <laughs> it's too mainstream for me.
1: <laughs>
0: we don't want people to resent us. Uh, Because we're so popular Right But we do really want to be popular
1: But not too popular
0: (laughs) Okay we gotta get out of here before this gets weird Okay Thanks for listening to Overdue We'll see you next week
1: Bye everyone